971 FM Talk Podcast. I was here on January 6th. Uh, we had an impeachment trial for President Trump after the events of January 6th. I think it's undeniable, in my view, that he participated in an insurrection and as such should be disqualified from holding federal office. That is Democratic Senator Chris Coons talking about the Colorado ruling from the Supreme Court there that says Donald Trump is an insurrectionist and therefore he does not earn the right to be on the ballot in Colorado. Crazy stuff is going on these days. But when we think about elections, I think of Missouri Secretary of State and our secretary is Jay Ashcroft, who's joining us on the phone. Mr. Secretary, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's always good to talk to you, man. There is just craziness that never seems to stop with elections these days. It feels like when we get to a certain point, you think this can't get any crazier. Somebody says, hold my beer, and we go to a whole new level of nuts. Uh, I I can't disagree with you. And um, the Democrats seem to be trying to destroy this constitutional republic. Uh, they talk about democracy, and yet they're the ones that don't let the don't want to let the people decide. I mean, this harkens back. I think the last time this happened was when the Democrats to protect slavery. That just shows you how vile this is, this attempt to keep their political competitor off the ballot uh, without legal reasoning. Well, I saw... Earlier today, I think it was, that up to 16 states are considering going down this pathway. And I don't I don't understand. I mean, you have a law degree, and you're an engineer. You're a much smarter guy than I am. But <laughs> when I look at this, I'm thinking, wait, A, he was never charged with insurrection. If you weren't charged, you for sure were never convicted of insurrection. So if you weren't charged and you weren't convicted— where do you get the proof that says this is the reason that I'm using in 16 states to keep you off the, the ballot? I mean, you would have, at the very least, have to have been convicted by some kangaroo court somewhere. <laughs> well, I, I think you're just uh, you're misinformed. You obviously didn't see that special clause in the United States Constitution that said due process under the law, uh, a jury trial, the your witnesses, protection from hearsay evidence being used against you does not apply to a former president of the United States named Donald Trump. Exactly. This is clearly two types of justice. One, well, neither of them are justice. One, we don't care if you break the laws for Democrats. We've seen that with the swamp in Washington, D.C. And the other is, we don't care if you follow the law, we're still going to prosecute you to Republicans. It's just crazy. Do you think this is going to get to the Supreme Court relatively quickly? What do you think is reasonable for that? I truly believe that there will be a cert petition. That is a request by at least the Trump campaign for the Supreme Court to review this judgment, this opinion by the Colorado Supreme Court. And the Colorado Supreme Court knew how vacant of real legal underpinning this decision was, they stayed their own case. They said, our case will not go into effect until January 4th. And if someone even asks the Supreme Court to look at it, it won't go into effect until the Supreme Court 
looks at it, and rules on it. They knew they were wrong. They wanted the publicity, and now they're just praying the Supreme Court doesn't make them look too stupid. I, I don't. I, I think that ship has already sailed. I, I just don't see any other way around it. But from what I understand, they have to they have to start printing ballots. I, I think somebody said January eighth is when they're supposed to start printing ballots for their primary, but which seems really early to me. But I. I I never thought of Colorado that early in the process, so I I don't know where that's going to come down. But it seems like we we keep finding new ways to try and change the election process. And I know there is a a group of folks in the state of Missouri, and I know you've had uh, a lot of folks who have come to you about this. They want the state of Missouri to start hand-counting elections. And... At, at my county council meeting in St. Charles last Monday night, we had a lady who spent about 45 minutes telling us that we could hand count a presidential election in St. Charles County in eight hours, and it would only take us 3,000 people counting ballots to get that done. Do you think Missouri is actually going to look at going to hand counting of ballots? I think there are real concerns with finding the people to be able to hand count every ballot. What I have suggested and what I think is actually a superior, more secure way to deal with ballots is instead of getting rid of the machines and moving to hand counting, you should do some of both. You should use the machines to do a quick unofficial count so we know what the boundaries of the counts are, so we know that all that counting is done on election night that ballots aren't being brought in overnight or hidden underneath tables to be counted in the middle of the night. So we have that quick uh, unofficial count. And then we should require specifically in Missouri state law that we upgrade our audits that are required after every election and require that those audits be done by hand. So we have the benefit of the speed of the machines. We have the benefit of, I don't trust machines, let's do a hand count. And if you do somehow mess with the machines and somehow mess with the hand counts, you'd have to mess with them in the exact same number. Otherwise, we would know. Layers of defense to protect our elections. That's what we need. That sounds like a good plan, because the thing I was thinking is all I keep hearing about from Kurt Barr is how hard it is to just get election judges. And that's just people to go sit at the polls. And if we can't find enough people to be election judges, how are we going to find people who are going to hand count ballots? Because, brother, that's a commitment to sit there and, and hand count for 8, 10, 12 hours at a time. It just seems it, like that's going to be a, a big lift. It is a real problem to find poll workers. I would encourage anyone listening. Um, let me just lie really quickly and say that it's a short day and we will pay you uh, <laughs> copious quantities of cash. Sadly, it's a long day. It's a lot of hard work and you don't get paid much. But we need them. I have, There are election authorities across the state that are closing polling places, not because they don't have money, not because they don't have equipment, but because they don't have the people to man them. And the last line of defense for all of our elections is having your neighbors and mine, a Republican and a Democrat, everywhere ballots are touched. We need more poll workers. We need more poll watchers. We need more poll challengers. That's what we need in our elections. Yeah, I I Second that 100 percent. And if there's one thing I know every election director in the state of Missouri is going to do is echo what you just said. They are dying to have people 
to come help them execute an election. And the more eyes that you have on the process, the less opportunity there is for something nefarious to happen. So I I, I completely back that. Hey, I understand that there is uh, a, a state representative who has... Uh, <laughs> You know where I'm going before I ask this, don't you? <laughs> so she's claiming foreman, foreign election interference in the state of Missouri. What is she talking about? Um, what she gave us was not very helpful. But as best I can tell, she was, she was running for attorney general as a Democrat, had announced that. Her opponent, I believe, in that case was a Democrat by the name of Elad Gross, and I, I may mispronounce his name. I don't mean to do that. Uh, and he is um, a Jewish. And she said that he was somehow interfering with elections and acting as a foreign agent of Israel just because he was an individual, a Jewish individual. It is um, wow. on the surface incredibly anti-Semitic, incredibly inappropriate, for any elected official, and um, I, I let me apologize to Mr. Gross that we had to look into it because it was reported to us, and I'm sorry if we have in any way supported her claim. It was ridiculous, and it was abominable and, and never should have been brought up. Wow. So I get back to what I said earlier. Just when you think we're as crazy as we can be, somebody says, hold my beer, and we go to a whole other level of, of craziness. Hey, I, I want to talk to you. Speaking of craziness, uh, I, I had County Executive Steve Elman on uh, last hour, and we were talking about I was trying to understand and getting back to your earlier point of I guess I'm putting too much common sense into this question, and this is why it doesn't make sense. I, I'm trying to understand from the Biden administration, where are they getting this win by openly allowing 10,000 people a day now that seem to be coming across our border and they continue to tell us it's not a problem when even blue states are saying this is a huge problem. I don't understand why they are continuing to ignore it and they're not doing anything about it. Um, It's not a problem to, to them because they object to American exceptionalism. They object to a government that took people from all over the world and made them into the world's lone superpower because of a belief in God and the right of individuals to make their own decisions. They hate that America is better than the rest of the countries, and they're doing their darn best to destroy it. So for them, the problem is not the illegal immigrants that are swamping our country. The problem is Americans that believe in liberty and opportunity for all. That's just crazy. I mean, you're... You're having everybody, like Steve Elman was pointing out, 80 percent. So that covers Republican and Democrat. 80 percent are saying this is a problem. You've got to do something to take care of us. And and they're not. They're not securing our citizens, which I think is government's very first job is to make sure that we're safe, if nothing else. But then they're letting the economy go to hell in a handbasket. I was reading something earlier that said, thanks to Bidenomics, this is going to be the most expensive Christmas on record. Once again, that's intentional. They want people to be dependent upon the government. 
They don't want our schools to teach kids. Well, maybe they want them to teach them enough so they can look at the pornographic material that they're shoving into our schools. This is true. And libraries. Yeah, they don't want our schools to teach our kids to think. They want to just send those kids in a pipeline to work and, and treat them like machines. This is a direct attack on the right of individuals to live their own lives, to think, to worship, and make their own decisions. And, you know, I guess when you have a president that can't make his own decisions, why should you expect his administration to stand up for the rest of us to be able to do that? That's very true. All he has to do is what's on the teleprompter in front of him, as long as he reads that. He has trouble with that. This is true. (laughs) you got to catch him early in the day, because if he doesn't get that afternoon nap in, (laughs) he just can't read that teleprompter very well. Hey, it's Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft. I appreciate you spending some time with us. Before I let you go, uh, I know you've been burning off the wheels of your vehicle covering the state of Missouri. What are you doing for Christmas this year? Uh, Spending time with my family, getting together with family, and rejoicing over the fact that politics is part of this life, but it is not a part of eternal life. It is not what truly matters. Well, we appreciate you taking some time with us today. I know you're you're crazy busy with everything, and I know 2024 is going to be busy for a lot of people who are running for office. But when you're running three elections at the meantime across the state, uh, I can't imagine what your year is going to be like next year. So I wish you the very best over this holiday season and a very blessed 2024 and appreciate you. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Merry Christmas, Jay. Take care. That is Jay Ashcroft, our Secretary of State, running for governor. Uh can't imagine what his year is going to be like next year. Man, I mean, if you think you're busy, try running for governor and driving all over the state of Missouri. And then you've got a primary in April. You've got or you've got a local elections in April. You've got a primary in August. You've got a general in November. And you're going to be involved in trying to make sure that all that stuff goes off. And then you've got people who are going to come up with crazy things that they're going to throw into the election fight in the meantime. Man, I, I can't imagine what that's going to be like. Hey, a guy who I always enjoy talking to because he's got his finger on the pulse of everything that seems to be going on in the state of Missouri is Dan Meehan. He is the president and CEO of the Missouri Chamber of Commerce and Industry, and we are going to talk to him on the other side. Child care is a huge issue. If you have little guys or little girls, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We will talk to him on the other side. It's Mike Elam sitting in for Mark Reardon today on 97.1 FM Talk. Mike Elam sitting in for Mark Reardon today. Who was that? Is that Harry Connick Jr. or Michael Buble? This is Frank Sinatra. Oh, it's Frank How did I miss that? Uh, Wow. Okay. So we're doing Christmas music all day long because tis the season. That's that's how it is. We're just going to be festive, right? Yeah. You're going to be be festive whether you want to be or not. Which is how this is going to be. Hey, a guy who's always festive is Dan Meehan. He is the president and CEO of the Missouri Chamber of Commerce and Industry. Dan, how are you today, sir? I'm festive, I guess. Because <laughs> I have it. to be. That's exactly it. You sound very excited. You sound like you're forcing this holiday season on yourself. You know, I'm, I'm trying to. I'm going to be excited about Christmas this year. I'm excited because Saturday I'm going down to pick up my 91-year-old father from Arkansas, and he is going to come up and spend a week with us. So everybody's home. I have a two-year-old grandson. Everybody's going to be at my house on Monday. So I'm very excited about that fact and that we all get to be together. And I'm very blessed that we all get to be together. So I'm very happy about that. So, yes, I am trying to be excited about the holiday season because in the past few years I've just kind of been like a bah humbug. How about you? Or do you get into well, holidays? I'm, I'm do you happy get into for Christmas? you. 
Thank you. I, I do. I do. I love it. Uh, our daughters are coming into town, and uh, uh, we've already decked the halls. My kids will deck them more, and uh, <laughs> we will we will have a great time. We're going to run into St. Louis and see family, and uh, then uh, you know just uh, enjoy a little bit of a slowdown, which only occurs about one week of the year for us. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great time of the year for everybody to spend time with family and friends and kind of just hit the, uh, hit the chill button. I, I can see you needing to hit the chill button because you cover the state on a regular basis. Like I, I can't tell you how many times I see you in the St. Louis area when I'm running around places and I run into you and it's in my neighborhood but you're you're coming all the way from around the state uh, to get there. So I saw a uh, story the other day that uh, you guys had a town hall, and the the subject of that was talking about uh, child care and what the, uh, for lack of a better term, I'll call it a an affordable and uh, child care option in the state of Missouri, and what it's really costing the state from an economic standpoint, and it's it's really become a crisis point, hasn't it? It's a almost $1.4 billion hit to the state. Wow. Uh, and yes, I do get around the state an awful lot. I'm a St. Louis native, but uh, um, it's a big state. And um, we are all over. We're a statewide organization that takes in the uh, – thoughts of all the businesses throughout the state, but the childcare thing, Mike, um, before the pandemic, it was already a struggling industry with relatively low pay, but people need it. If, if they want to go to work, um, you got to find a place for junior or juniorette during the day. If you want to go to your job and, uh, it becomes a workforce issue, which is a major priority of ours and uh, our involvement with the National Association of State Chambers. It's a, the only good thing about uh, the workforce issue, the silver lining, is everybody's suffering the same problem. They need more people. They need more talented people. And if that talented person can't go to work because they can't find a place or a, a, a situation for their their child or children to go to during the day, it's a detriment. And to the tune of, uh, to our economy, our analysis came up with $1.35 billion negative. So we had a bill teed up in the Senate for a final vote last legislative session in May that would have created a child care tax incentive uh, for employers to offer to their employees directly um, a, some help to find that. And unfortunately, it got filibustered uh, in, in the Missouri Senate. And uh, it, it was on deck, uh, three hours of filibuster, and it killed it. So we're coming back with it this year, and the governor has made it a priority of his, which we're very grateful for. Uh, but it, it's a serious issue, and I like to tell people that if you could have told me three years ago that two of our priority issues going into this session would have been child care and public safety, 
I would have kind of scratched my head, but we've made progress in both. Uh, but these, these two things are extremely important to the business community and, uh, they're kind of headwinds right now for us to, to move ahead. You know, Abby and I were talking earlier today about this particular issue, and I said my son and his wife made the same decision that my wife and I made 29 years ago for pretty much the same reason, and that is child care. So my daughter-in-law used to work for the Danforth Plant Science Center in Creve Corps. Great job uh, that she had, mm-hmm. but she lives in Wentzville, right? So... When they had uh, our grandson two years ago, they started looking at what the cost of child care was and then how hard it's going to be to have reliable child care. So when they started looking at the cost of that and what it was costing her every day to drive to Creve Corps and drive back and then getting to the, the sitters, if you will, in time, the child care facility, you've got to get them at a certain time. If you don't, there's more cost that's there or or they don't even stay open over certain hours. So you've got to really make sure that you get there. When you started looking at it, she was working to pay for childcare and they made the decision that this just doesn't make any sense, right? I'm, I'm going to go work all day long, 40 hours a week or so. So I can pay all this money to somebody to watch my kid. And at the end of the day, I have no money left for all the effort that I put into this. And I know Caleb Browner had a comment in the uh, article that I saw that um, I, I don't know where you had that event the other day. I want to say it was in Jeff City um, where you had the roundtable there uh, with the folks. It may have been in Columbia, but he was talking about he and his wife spent over $2,000 a month uh, for their child to oh, be in yeah. child care. It, it's, it's expensive. And, um, it, and, and then just like in your situation, you make the economic decision and, uh, family economics decision on it. Yeah. And that adds to the strain on available workforce for quality positions like the Danforth center, which is doing remarkable work. Uh, so, I mean, it's a serious issue. We can take a shot at it and and try to help out with it. Are we going to solve the problem totally? No. But are we going to make Missouri hopefully a leader in establishing a an incentive program so we can get this done and have more people come back to work? I think we can get there. Until I, I saw the article about this, I didn't connect the dots. Because, you know, we all see uh, workforce, like you talked about before, we all see the need. And you see businesses every day who have signed now hiring, now hiring. Businesses are trying to find qualified people. In some cases, businesses are trying to find warm bodies uh, just to, to show up and work. And we're not able to find them. And I didn't even connect the fact, even though my family has made this decision of child care is one of the things it's taking uh, educated. I mean, my daughter-in-law is a degree biology degree person, uh, very educated, very capable. But when you started looking at what are you working for and you're getting nothing out of it, like that's a big issue. And that's another person that comes out of the workforce. So we have a lot of, uh, I met somebody the other day who the husband is staying at home because the wife made more money than the husband. So the husband stayed home to take care of the kids. Again, more people 
who should be in our workforce, should be productive for us from that standpoint. But from an economic standpoint, it just doesn't make sense because they're working to pay for child care. So I appreciate you working on that. You've been working on the Missouri 2030 initiative uh, for a number of years now, and you continue to make progress on that. What's what's one of the biggest things that has surprised you? Because like you said, I didn't think these were the two issues that we were going to be working on in 2024. What's some of the biggest things that have surprised you? Because you've been doing this program now for what, eight years? Is that when you... We've been... Right. We launched it in 2015. Right. And uh, a good surprise is the fact that we've improved. We've gone from 42nd in job creation to 27th, 43rd in state GDP growth to 27th again, and 39th in per capita income growth to 32nd. So we're trending the right way. That's been a nice surprise. The other surprises are uh, that nobody was in this space. Nobody was thinking this way aspirationally on what we have to do as a state. Like We will work on day-to-day blocking and tackling in the capital, but aspirationally, where do we want to be? We've got a great We've got great potential in ag tech, in IT, in critical minerals that you hear on the news all the time how China has tried to corner the market on, uh, whether it's cadmium or cobalt or whatever the thing that we you need to put in a battery or which goes into everything from your cell phone to an electric vehicle to a cruise missile uh, to pharmacy ingredients, which makes your blood pressure medicine work, which makes your uh, diabetes medicine work. We're number one in producing active pharmacy ingredients in the country out of all the states. So these are advantages in critical minerals and active pharmacy ingredients that we can capitalize on. And we've been able to get funding to stand those industries up better. And that's been a, a, a it kind of it doesn't keep you awake at night. It wakes you up at night to see the potential that we have there and where we need to drive as a state for our for for the strong points that we have to offer. Well, I appreciate the long view that that you're taking with this. And I remember being there with the kickoff of Missouri 2030 and hearing you talk about the fact that because we have term limits, you knew that at the time, uh, although I guess it's probably going to end up being four instead of three, but you knew at the time you were going to have three different governors' uh, terms that you were going to span over over the cost of or over the the whole tenure of what you were trying to put together because of term limits and how they were going to work. Uh, we didn't plan on one spending a very short term uh, before he was he was in and gone, so that probably changed it a little bit. But the the process still holds true. Missouri doesn't seem to have the way the term limits kind of limit us. It doesn't really give us a long term plan because we keep turning the legislature over so much, and you can't really plan long term unless you have an organization like yours that's willing to come in and say, hey, let's look beyond the eight years that you're going to be here or the two years that you're going to be in leadership because that's that's all we really get, right? We don't really get more than two years out of our state leaders in, in the House and the Senate before we're going to turn them over. So 
having a long-term strategy for the state of Missouri, I think is great. I was seeing the numbers that said Missouri grew, was it 0.3% and Illinois lost 0.3% in population. Um, But I think the things that you're talking about doing are really going to lead to the economic development of our state to where we're going to get a larger influx of folks who are going to come in. And I think what uh, you got a chance to, to come to my office at I3 Broadband and talk about uh, fiber technology and infrastructure with broadband and putting $1.736 billion of broadband technology throughout the state of Missouri and getting us more connected is really going to be that infrastructure push that's going to put a lot of the programs that you focus on. It's going to be the infrastructure that's that's going to be able to let us lead the way in a lot of industries that, uh, like you've talked about, we're teed up and ready to go, aren't we? We are, and you mentioned broadband. And one of the things that came out from the initial investigation uh, via the Gallup interview of 1,000 CEOs across the state was we need better broadband in rural Missouri. And I like to say we we were talking about broadband before it was cool to talk about broadband (laughs) when you had the pandemic hit and you had to take your kid to the McDonald's parking lot to get their homework assignment that day. So it's an important investment. And I think you can look to the commitment from the state and the federal government for that. And we are making significant improvements in that. But um, again, it came down to workforce, infrastructure, competitiveness, and uniting the business community behind a data-driven, fact-based approach to this. And like you said, we've spanned governorships of four governors, and one which we know how that movie ended, but (laughs) they've all adopted it. And um, it, it, it provides them a roadmap and it's, it's bona fide. It's, uh, we've invested a lot of money to get the data right and the research done. And, uh, it's just the, the execution of it that that's what we, that incumbent on us to get done, whether that's legislatively or programmatically out in the field, we've got some real successes there and workforce and, uh, you know, like our IT approach. Uh, apprenticeship program. We were deploying 5,300 apprentices out there in IT with companies that have dedicated job positions for them that our stay rate, as they call it, is 97%. In other words, they get the job and they're still there. Um, same thing that we just launched in healthcare, uh, whether it's surgery techs or uh, nursing or EMTs to get the training that they need to have careers in that. And healthcare is 20 to 25% of our economy any given day. So uh, tw- Missouri 2030 is making a difference, absolutely for sure. And it's uh, it's guiding our organization and giving us our agenda each year. Well, like I talked about, I know I see you everywhere, and I know you're you're constantly – Uh, going around the state, spreading the gospel, uh, pushing to see that Missouri can be a leader 
I love seeing the process that or the progress that we've made so far. Uh, I mean, when, when you're in the 40s out of 50 states, you know you're at the bottom of the heap. So I know we have a long way to go, but I think a lot of effort that your organization has done is why we're getting to where we're getting. So I appreciate you, appreciate what your organization is doing. I hope you get a chance to relax a little bit and enjoy the holiday season, get a breather, because it sounds like the legislature in 2024 is is going to be a uh, interesting place to be. And uh, I, I wish you the best as we get into the new season. Well, I appreciate that very much. And as a matter of fact, Mike, I'm right behind you. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but <laughs> the, no, the circus comes to town on January 3rd and we're ready. Well, so. I, wish, I wish you the best with it. Hope you have a Merry Christmas, a very happy new year. And I look forward to talking to you soon in 2024. Merry Christmas to you and all your listeners. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Thanks, Dan. That's Dan Meehan. He is the president and CEO of the Missouri Chamber of Commerce and Industry. They are doing what they can to make sure that Missouri gets out there and leads the way. There's things that we've got some great wins on, and there's some more that are on the way, uh, thanks to his organization and the things that we're doing. We have got the cut of the day that we are going to do and wrap up the big show on the other side. It's Mike Elam sitting in for Mark Reardon today on St. Louis's home for conservative talk, 97.1 FM Talk. Andy Williams. I used to go to his theater in Branson because we used to go down there. My folks live in northwest Arkansas, so we would meet in Branson because there was nothing to do in the town of 75 people that they lived in. That's right. There were 75 people in their town. So we used to go to Branson, and they wanted to go see Andy Williams. So we went to Andy Williams' Moon River Theater, and he actually put on an amazing show. Uh, They just, when he first opened up that Moon River Theater, they had all kinds of stuff, and you didn't have that kind of stuff back then when he first started in Branson. So... He was one of those big showstoppers that happened. Yeah, so. that sounds like a really fun time, honestly. It, it actually, his Christmas show was really amazing. I bet so. so. There was lots Oops. of money that happened back then. And that's the end of that song. So <laughs> we're done with that part. Hey, it's Mike Elam. I have had a wonderful time filling in today. I hope you have enjoyed listening to the program. It has been just a stacked lineup today of people that we have had. Uh, Before we get out of here, we have our cut of the day that we are going to do. And it kind of goes back to some of the things we've been talking about today with, I just don't get the whole border crisis. As I look up at Fox News right now, and it says Biden under fire for immigration policies. And I agree with what our cut of the day is going to be today, that we are in an invasion of our country. And I don't understand why the Biden administration doesn't see it that way. And we focus a lot on the southern border. But suddenly, over the past few weeks, really, maybe month, people started talking about the northern border. And you really haven't heard anything about Canada. You haven't heard about people coming from Canada. But when you think about the Canadian border and the Mexican border, They are night and day, man. One is the entire span of our country, pretty much. And the other is just a little, you know, quarter of it. And people didn't really talk about what's going on in Canada. And it makes me wonder how many people have been coming across the northern border that we don't have a count of. But we're over 7 million people that have come into the country illegally that we know of. That we know of, kind of. Uh, I mean, it's not a, a good reflection because the gotaways are a whole uh, estimate. But 
Our cut of cut of the day today, is it sponsored? Okay, good. I wanted to make sure I didn't do that wrong. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick from the state of Texas is the guy who brings us our cut of the day. Stand by. Playback ready. Now, the audio cut of the day. You know, our founders said, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, an invasion by an army. Well, the army we're facing is not the Mexican army, although the Mexican president is doing nothing to to stem this tide. The army are the cartels. And so we're saying we have a right to to grab people who cross the border illegally, arrest them, uh, give them the choice of prison or going back home. And so we arrest them, we get their fingerprints, we get their photographs, we do the background checks. A magistrate says, you got a choice. Go to jail or go mm-hmm. home. And if you go home and try to come back again and we catch you, the jail term is going to even be longer. We're, we think we'll win at the Supreme Court because we're being invaded and we have a right to protect the lives of Texas and American citizens. It's just amazing that that is sort of a voice in the wilderness when it comes to uh, administration. But like Steve Elman was talking about earlier, even the Democrat governor of Arizona is calling out the National Guard now and saying we've got to do something. Uh, Eric Adams in New York is going down to the border and trying to tell people, we don't want you in New York. If you think if you come to New York, we're going to throw our arms open and we're going to welcome you to be here. That is not the way it's going to happen. And they are trying to get the Biden administration. The Democrats are trying to get the Biden administration to pay attention and do something and stop this. And for whatever reason, they're not doing it. And I, I just... I don't understand the win because even their base has turned against them on this issue to where they may have been with them before. But now that is such a small AOC type fragment of the Democrat Party. The the far, far left progressives are probably the ones that are the only ones that are still like, hey, let's open the door and let everybody in. But everybody else seems to be. No, let's let's be done. I mean, if you just do simple math and say there's 350 million people in uh, the United States of America, which most people will tell you that's a high number. We don't actually have 350 million. But just for easy math, if you say 7 million people have come across so far, that's 2% of your total population of the United States that has come in. And to the lieutenant governor's point, if you had an army of 7 million people march across the ocean and, and into your shores... You would call that an invasion, that there is no other way around it. That's exactly what you would look at. And they're killing us not with guns and bullets and knives, but they're killing us by just bleeding us dry. Uh, We can't feed them. We can't clothe them. We can't house them. We can't take care of their medical problems. But they're draining all the resources that we have. And for whatever reason, they're just letting it happen. So I'm curious to see how much longer this is going to go because he's getting lambasted with his party, not even the Republicans. So we'll see where it goes. I hope you have a very Merry Christmas. I'm coming back here on Tuesday the 26th. I get the opportunity to fill in for Annie on Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. Uh, Just remember, Christmas is the day that Jesus was born. So spend a little time remembering the reason for the season, all right? You have a very Merry Christmas. We'll talk to you next week. Mike Elam sitting in for Mark Reardon today on St. Louis's home for Conservative Talk, 971 FM Talk. Get more at 971talk.com.